Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin. I'm calling in from Belfast. I'm a Spurs fan and former chairman of the New York Spurs Spurs Club. Hi, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJackal with two N's. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie, here to talk about Burnley. I'm on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports. Awesome, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I figure we should start off with what was the dominant news story throughout the week, which of course was all of the uh, suspensions of matches due to COVID. Uh, I think Manchester City, Everton, then uh, Tottenham versus Fulham, and then Fulham again at the weekend versus, uh, it was supposed to be you yet, uh, Jamie, so... A lot of these suspensions, but the Premier League, when asked about it, publicly stated that they have full confidence that they'll be able to continue the season as scheduled. Uh, I guess we'll just start off by asking you guys if if you think that's the right call to just keep forging ahead with the year. Well, I mean, for good or ill, I think the league has basically nailed its flag to the mast on this one, and it it just seems determined to press on. Um, I mean, after the the Burnley-Fulham postponement, which was particularly significant since it involved two consecutive postponements involving the the same club. Um, You know, the league said that it wasn't even discussing a suspension, um, even if everybody else seems to be at the moment. And I I, I totally understand. I mean, if they figure that they can, they can better stand one postponement a week rather than call a halt to the whole uh, program for three weeks and then have to deal with the inevitable uh, fixture congestion that follows from that. Um, but I, I think if they figure um, they figure that if the, if there's a suspension now, they might not actually be able to come back to the season at all because things are still uh, so uncertain. But at the end of the day, the primary concern should should always be the the safety, especially with the you know the mixing of teams that have a, a different approaches to um, to the precautions that they can take. Um, but the, as I say, you know, it has to be has to be the safety of the um, uh, players and, and staff um, and everybody associated with the clubs, especially as the situation seems to be becoming more serious in, in our wider society. And, uh, and and the players should definitely they're, they're part of this equation as well. They should definitely be being told the implications of not being responsible and not following their, their club guidelines, you know, whatever those are. Uh, I mean, we had the situation, Kevin, with with uh, Regulon, Lo Celso, and and Lamella. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> okay, but but the the idea of like not having a uniform disciplinary code across across the league is is basically putting the onus back onto the teams. I mean, you can understand why people would say that there, you know, there's there's the need for a ban or a suspension of a player for doing that. That's a totally understandable reaction. But then, how do you enforce that constant uh, consistently? And, and of course, those are only the instances that we hear about because players are dumb enough to post pictures on social media. But you know that that appearance of flouting the rules is is one thing, but that's totally insignificant compared to what we still don't know about the medical effects of the virus uh, and the idea that that playing careers can suffer because of what's called long COVID, the after effects of an infection. Uh, and that that can happen even to the best protected players. I mean, the, you know, Pogba or Kai Havertz, for example, or, or um, have, have re- recovered from uh, from having an infection previously. And, and we often talk about how you know this season and last season too will inevitably have a an asterisk next to them in the record books. And we, but we still don't know the long term effects of the virus on on top class athletes' bodies. And and so you have to think. Are we going to be judging certain players differently in three or four years because they're 
Um, you know, they're still suffering from an infection that they picked up on, on international duty last season, for example. So, you know, the, the spread of the virus and, and this new variant obviously have implications for society as a whole, as, as well as in football for, for beyond the Premier League. And, you know, for example, we're coming into an FA Cup weekend where you're going to have this um, this challenge of teams mixing that, you know, have different uh, approaches to how they can um, how they can they, they can test their players and that sort of thing and i think it's it's really incumbent now on the on the premier league both the premier league and the fa to communicate properly um both within the clubs and 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 to the outside world uh you know what the precautions are what the testing regime has to be uh what the consequences need to be for for people who who break the um break the disciplinary code and the, and the clubs, you know, they need, from their perspective, they need to have a grown-up discussion about um, about the level of risk that they're putting their expensive players, their expensive assets, in, and and what they're doing to mitigate that. Because the other big consideration, uh, and we, we've talked about this before, is exactly how long we're going to have to go without fans in the stadiums, and what the impact of that is going to be on the economics of the game. But I think for now, the immediate concern, uh, especially with uh, the, this new variant and the way it's spreading, uh, immediate concern has to be for the, the health and safety of players and staff and how, how the league, what the league can do to, to make the best of that situation. Um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I think that I agree with Steve with a lot of what he said. I definitely think the league have uh, sort of nailed their colours to the mast in, in continuing uh, what I would say about the last week, though, is that um, it's been a case of um, the matches being so close together that I think we've had some of the postponements. So I think the Manchester City one, I'm not sure if they had so many players they couldn't play the match. It was just that they they couldn't get the next set of test results back so quickly. So, so there was a risk of going to play that match at Everton. So it wasn't quite like the Newcastle one where I think we had quite a few positive cases. And I think the same now with Fulham. Um, it was, it was I think it was uh, a... a a fear of the risk and um, the risk of the spread rather than the amount of infections, which is a common sense move. Um, so I, I think as we get back to, I guess, quote unquote, normal scheduling over the next uh, few weeks and months, we probably won't see as many postponements in a row as we've, we've just seen. Um, so I think that's probably what the league are hoping for. Um, and, and with the new national sort of um, restrictions coming in, in in the UK, there should probably be um, fewer fewer cases anyway you, you you would expect as long as players uh follow the guidelines which i think some of them haven't been but um i mean that's another issue entirely um but yeah it, it, it's it, it's going to be a continuing worry i think it, it was always gonna be a bigger bigger risk over christmas because of uh the you know the desire to go and spend christmas with with family and things like that so there's definitely there was always going to be increased cases but i, I think the league probably think they've got over the the worst of it now and and they'll be hoping that that they can push on uh, any means necessary i think that the this the schedule for the rest of the season does, does limit the amount of um wiggle room they have to postpone fixtures especially for teams in europe i think if manchester city hadn't played um chelsea today then, then maybe the league cup game was suspended um postponed as well they would have uh, come into a real problem uh, fitting those matches back in. So I think they'll be more relieved that Manchester City are playing um, rather than Fulham because it's a little bit easier to fit those matches in. Um, but yeah, with, with Newcastle, we, you can see the effect it's definitely had on, on some of the players. Like we, we were very unfortunate that the two players that got this uh, long COVID, or as Steve Bruce described it, were Jamal Lascelles and Alan St. Maximan, who, you know, that's our captain and arguably our best best player if he's not our best player he's de definitely our most creative and attack mm. so it's definitely hurt us quite a lot in, in the two players that that have had it worse but you know that it could happen to anybody just got hope that all the players make a, a, a recovery as long as that takes it's more important that they're well rather than on the pitch for Newcastle per se I think that's the most important thing but there, there were always going to be problems if the pandemic hasn't gone away for anybody and that includes footballers. So, yeah, it, it, they're just going to have to continue managing it the way they are. I think the, the Premier League's um, testing and um, guidelines for players is definitely more successful than the EFL where it's in a lot more um, postponements than that. I, I 
guess that that season is, is more in doubt than the Premier League because because of the resources available. But I think they will get past it. And now we're back to a more normal schedule, or at least we will be after the FA Cup matches. I think that they'll probably be hoping that, that the testing can, can continue and we can stop these um, postponements from happening um, because there won't be as many matches happening in, in such a sport, short space of time. Yeah, echo a lot of points that have been made by Stephen Jay there. Um, obviously, player safety has to be the priority. Um, and I think it's interesting that the Premier League seems to think that they are ensuring player safety when the rising number of cases appears to indicate that that's not what's actually happening. Um, I think the scheduling is an interesting point worth going a bit deeper onto because the Premier League is sort of stuck because of a decision made by UEFA months ago when they decided on the new slot for Euro 2020, which is also still going to be called Euro 2020, even though it's not in 2020. But Great whatever. branding exercise um, there. Yeah, exactly. I, I still think they just ordered too many pens with Euro 2020 on. Couldn't get rid of the <laughs> pens. So, um, yeah, the fact that Euro 2020 is penciled in for a certain date means that the Premier League and other domestic leagues across Europe have to be finished in time for that. It's it's that straightforward. So talking about pausing the season, um, I think it's difficult. If you pause the season, I think Steve's right. And when do you decide it's safe to restart? Um, I think it's worth noting that the situation here seems to be worse than it was when the Premier League was paused in March. Um, we're now likely to have very strict restrictions which make it illegal to move around the country, but that's not going to be the case for football, which seems odd. Um, I think Jake's right that cases were always likely to spike around this time because of Christmas and New Year and stuff, but I actually think the coming weekend, FA Cup weekend, is going to be a real difficult moment for, for the football world. There's going to be a lot of teams in action that don't, tests nearly as regularly as Premier League teams. When they do test for these FA Cup matches there is going to be so many cases it's going to be frightening right? So the number of FA Cup games that actually happen this weekend probably going to be reasonably low I would think because of the high number of cases that there will be um, at some clubs so I think that's that's worth pointing out. <laughs> I think also I don't know whether this is just because Michael Burnley have been reasonably unscathed by this. Off the top of my head, the only player that's been confirmed to have had COVID is Phil Bardsley, who's not necessarily a first-teamer anyway. But especially with the Fulham game this weekend, I just thought, why should Burnley be punished Mm. by having a more congested fixture schedule later on in the season? Because Fulham can't protect their players. And then it the story about Alexandra Mitrovic came out. And I just thought, well, hang on. What's what's their punishment? Why aren't they being punished for this? Um, earlier in the season, we were told that clubs would have to fulfil fixtures, and if that meant using academy players and youth team players, that would be the case. Now, without any sort of announcement, the Man City Everton seems, seems to have completely changed the guidelines in that teams can now ask for a postponement. And I'm not sure that's right. I think if you have cases at your club, bad luck. But all Premier League clubs have dozens of players. You should just be able to get on with it. As long as players are tested and it's reasonably safe for the players who are going to play, I think they should carry on. Um, And if clubs aren't willing to do that, they should forfeit games. Mm. Um, And I also think there needs to be centralised punishment for these players who are being found Mm. to breach regulations and are catching COVID as a result of their own inability to follow the rules or stupidity or ignorance or whatever it is. I don't see why someone like Alexander Mitrovic should just get a slap on the wrist. I don't see why someone like Kyle Walker, who all last year, every week it seemed there was a story in the newspapers about Kyle Walker breaking lockdown rules. Why should teams play Man City have their games put back because Kyle Walker can't behave himself? I think it's it's difficult, but yeah, fully agree with what Stephen Jay said. Player safety has to be the priority, but I think it needs to be more more set what the rules are because this 
clubs just saying, oh, can we have a postponement? I, I don't think that's right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's right. And, and, and when, when we're talking about putting player safety front and central, I think we're not doing enough to, to make it clear to the players that they have the responsibility to look after their safety as, as they would expect other players to do the same for them. Uh, I mean, I, I know, so, you know, one of you mentioned the um, the Christmas break and how natural it was for people to to gather during the Christmas break and that sort of thing and how tempting it was to break the regulations. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're being well paid to do something that um, requires a certain amount of responsibility and sacrifice on your part. Uh, and and I, th- I think that's absolutely right. There has to be some sort of consistency around how we treat players who break the guidelines. Do you guys think that that is the best way to try to limit the risk and exposure uh, amongst players is by having like a unified punishment for people that break these kind of guidelines? I know you guys have already thrown out a couple uh, of players that were already found uh, pictographically guilty. Um, is that what we're thinking is the only way to really keep all of this moving is if, if there are punishments that are very clear that prevent players from doing things like this? The thing about punishments is what what would the punishment be if it feels like they'd be making it sort of on the hop now that it should have been set out clearly at the very start of yeah. of when when football was resumed that there, there would be these punishments so I don't think they could really bring them in now I definitely agree with, with Jamie that maybe there should you know it's not Burnley's fault that the, the match was postponed and if 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 you know these pictures of Mitrovic or if some of these Fulham players went to to Carl Walker's party or whatever it was then maybe it's um, maybe there should be punishment coming in and maybe forfeiting of games should happen. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe take from the other view because Newcastle had a match postponed, but I think that was slightly different. I think that was brought in on the international break and the training ground was, was shut for like two weeks. So it wasn't, I think that was, a, I think it was a, there was a lot more COVID cases at Newcastle than there have been, especially at Manchester City. I'm not sure about Fulham, but uh, is Fulham's training ground closed at the moment? I'm not sure if I've read that. I know Manchester City was for a little bit, but um, it's 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 a difficult one. I definitely agree that maybe there should have been, um, and the ske- and, and because the scheduling is so tight, it's going to be difficult to fit these matches in. Maybe there should have been a uh, maybe the Premier League should should have made teams forfeit matches, but then that would bring in a, an extra, um, I guess, layer of. of another asterisk to receive them because say if Manchester City had forfeit the game at Everton and then Liverpool win the title by one point it does that would probably add another asterisk that the Premier League would would want to avoid on their competition so it's a difficult one I I think I probably agree more with the punishments for players rather than clubs but yeah it, it, it I can understand how it's difficult that there was all this um, documentation coming out in the summer saying all oh, the if you had uh, 14 fit players, whether that be academy or first team, that you'd have to put out a team. And then the first time that was tested, which I think was the Newcastle um, Aston Villa postponement, it just didn't seem to to be true. So it's it's, it's mixed messaging from the Premier League, um, and I guess from their point of view, they probably didn't ever expect to be in a position to have to postpone a game, which which just shows the sort short sightedness on their part, really. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I think. The important thing is just whatever they introduce, as long as it's consistent. Because if we, and I don't think we should go down the road of forfeiting. I think it it should be more um, discipline the players with a suspension or something like that. But but rather than forfeiting, uh, because then you get into the the difficulties of consistency, as you say, where you'd have a a virtual judge and jury. uh, It'd be almost like VAR basically taking a decision on whether the, whether a breach comes up to the criteria that deserves a, uh, a suspension or a, deserves a forfeit. So I think that's a, that's a nonsense, quite frankly. Yeah, just to circle back, because I think I was the one who raised forfeiting, it, it would be a choice for the club. You either go ahead mm-hmm. and put out the team that you can mm-hmm. put out or you forfeit. I'm not saying the Premier League should be saying that teams have to forfeit. Um but right. if it's a certain number of players are out and they can't, like Fulham, as far as I know, it's a couple of players. It's not a, the sort of outbreak that was at Newcastle where they had a number of players and staff. I think the Fulham one is relatively limited. 
And I don't really agree that two games postponed was was right for Fulham, um, especially when it's come out that Mitrovic has been breaking the rules afterwards. So, um, yeah, fourth team would, for me, be down to the club itself to decide whether you want to put out a team or forfeit. And I think, given that choice, all teams would then find a way to play the game. Yeah, I think that that makes more sense. That's absolutely right. Uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, first, uh, they're already making a decision that could impact the title race because Manchester City having a match later in the season when they might have Aguero back or they might have Laporte back means that the result could be different than now. So I- I'm less afraid of matches being impacted by decisions like this because the decisions are already being made in one regard. Um, and the other is I think the only reason why the Premier League is able to continue despite all of these issues is that there's yet to be a proven case of spread between two different clubs which is huge and it's also been the same in the nfl in the states as well which is really surprising to me that none of these things like standing next to each other throughout a match is enough to uh contract it although we also don't know if a player that's confirmed positive has ended up still getting onto the pitch if memory serves um but i think those those things are are also worth noting and as long as we don't see spread between clubs while they're playing matches i think they're going to be able to continue taking risks. But if all of a sudden a test doesn't come back in time, like the Manchester City example that Jake uh, laid out earlier, maybe that's why it got postponed. If a player somehow gets on the pitch with COVID and then after that match there's a breakout in the other team, I think then they'd be way harder pressed to to be able to continue the season without drawing the ire of just about everybody involved. Yeah, just to jump back in, sorry Mm. for one last bit. I agree with Steve about consistency, but they've already changed it, so it's not consistent. Early in the season, Carabao Cup, Spurs were supposed to play Leighton Orient. Leighton Orient had a breakout, and Spurs were given a bye into the next round. This time, Man City were told that they'd be able to postpone the semi-final. So that's clearly not... I mean, Leighton Orient probably wouldn't have beaten Spurs, I think we can say, but they might have. It doesn't seem fair that they were kicked out of the competition when... Man City were told that they could postpone it and play it at a later date. So I think the, the lack of consistency is already happening. Yeah, mm. that's a good point. And I, and I think just come back to that game as well, Kevin, you probably remember better than I do, but we only found out about that because Spurs paid for Orient's testing. And this is yeah. another thing that we're, we're going to run into when, when we have the FA Cup this coming weekend. You know, you, you've got teams who just don't have the resources to do the sort of testing that the Premier League teams do. Yeah, and again, I think that's where why it's so important that we've yet to see team-to-team spread. But unfortunately, if we're going to see it, this weekend would be a great example of when it could happen, and we might find out about that afterwards. Um, we'll move on from talking about the health ramifications and, and all of that for now. Obviously, it'll be an ongoing discussion throughout the whole year. Um, but we'll talk about instead what's going on at the bottom of the table now. Sheffield United still just two points on track for a record-breaking, the bad way, season. Um, West Brom also look pretty nailed to the bottom at the moment considering Fulham the club in front of them are ahead of them already and have two games in hand uh, although one of them against Tottenham which I would hope we would win um, but I'm just curious who do you guys think are, are, are at greatest risk of potentially joining them in that uh, relegation fight if not destiny well the way I sort of look at these things is by this stage of the season uh, if your team has conceded more than 20 or you, you've got a negative goal difference of more than 20 goals then you're you're getting to the point where you're almost irredeemable but it's still too early i mean anybody can go on a three or four game run uh, either in a good way or a bad way that can totally affect their uh, their standing um but you'd have to sort of look at it and say really kind of anybody up to up to palace maybe um i mean i think palace are playing some good stuff at the moment i don't think uh I don't think they will slip back, but really it could be anyone from one, two, three, four, five, five teams, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, and then if you look at that sort of group immediately above, uh, you know, the group from 14 up to 10, uh, you know, teams like West Ham or, or Southampton could could get into a run of games where they just end up treading water. Um, but really, you know, we're, we're talking about, the top four being contested by the top 10, by the top half of the table this year. Uh, and so anything, anything really could happen in that, in that respect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think on, on goal differences, as you say, just the, the, the fact that 
poor old Sheffield United. I mean, uh, you, you can't not feel for them, quite frankly. Um, uh, West Brom, I thought, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try and uh, turn it around a little bit when, when Sam arrived, but uh, this might be a bridge too far for him this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it, could be, it could be any one of, of four or five other teams that fill that third spot. I think I'd agree that West Brom and, and Sheffield United look like they're going down. Um, I think for Sheffield United to stay up, they'd need to pretty much go on like a European run of form, which they did get last year, but I don't think they're going to they're gonna have it again. They just look completely devoid of confidence. And now when you look down their team, especially their team that played at the weekend, they don't look like they've got any quality and it makes you think back to last year and, and wondering quite how they got as high as they did. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a difficult one. Um, I... I, I'd, I'd still probably put Fulham in there, even though they have been improving. Um, just think that they haven't won many games and, and you know, they're going to have to turn that around at some point. Brighton haven't looked as good, um, looked too good. They're not picking up too many wins. Two wins a season is, is a very poor record, um, especially when, when I watch Newcastle play every week and I think we're, we are pretty bad and we've got five wins. Um, yeah, I'd worry for those two teams mainly. Um I guess as much as Jamie thinks that as, as, as long as Sean Dyche is there, Burnley won't go down. I probably think about Newcastle as long as Steve Bruce is manager. We've got a chance of going down. So I wouldn't rule us out of it. Um, although we we played a lot better this week against Liverpool and Leicester. Uh, and with Sheffield United next up, you'd you'd really hope we'd go there and win and, and put a little bit more breathing space, uh, space between us and the bottom three. Um, but then we were the team that only took one point off Derby when they 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 got the record low to, uh, points total. So maybe we shouldn't be uh, too confident about beating Sheffield United. Um, but no, I think to, to stay up this year, you're going to need to get about ten wins. I think if you get ten wins, you've got a very good chance of staying up. Um, and with Newcastle, uh, Paris and Paris have got six wins. Newcastle got five wins. Burnley got four wins. Then you look at Brighton, Fulham, West Brom. Uh, got five wins between them. Two for Brighton, two for Fulham, one for West Brom. So. It's de- I definitely feel it's between those three teams and, and Sheffield United to go down at the moment. I just think Burnley are going to have too much. They've gone on that that run as they often do of getting just getting ten points from four games and, and just moving clear of it. And I'm sure there'll be another one or two runs like that. And I think with us, we, we've we've got two. I think with 19 points on the board already, um, two games against Sheffield United and, and a. And the, the the players we have, we should have enough to, to steer clear of it, even if I do think we're going to finish in the bottom five. I think we should be just about OK. So, yeah, I think it's between those bottom four clubs, really. Um, and I'd probably say, as it is at the moment, it's probably how it'll stay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm wary about relegating teams at this stage. As we're not even halfway, are we? So there's a lot of ways to go. But it's very difficult to see Sheffield United coming up, um, staying up even. Um, obviously watched their game against us recently. They just don't seem to have anything about them. I think Jack O'Connell's been such a big miss for them. Um, and the confidence has just entirely drained out the team and they don't score any goals. So I think we can pretty much say they've gone. Um, West Brom haven't really had the new manager bounce that you would expect with Allardyce coming in. I think it's um, probably telling that Allardyce is, I think, the only manager calling for a circuit break. Which stands to reason he's obviously I think got a Nuno as well, but yeah. Oh, Nuno as well. Well, Wolves are struggling recently as well, so I think that stands to reason. Um, yeah, I'm sure Allardyce would love to get his players on the training ground for two weeks and drill them defensively and do his big Sam stuff. So that doesn't really surprise me. Um, I think their chances depend on January recruitment because that squad doesn't have anything like enough to stay up. Um, a few weeks ago, Robbie Savage, as is Robbie Savage's one, declared that it was three from four at the bottom and Burnley were one of those four. So it just goes to show how silly it is to make bold predictions like that because Burnley are absolutely not in the mix. Now, form since Ben Mee got fit, since some other players got fit, have been very good. If we'd played form this weekend, we'd have won that game, we'd be even further away. So um, I don't think that's really any concern now. Plus, we've got our new American owners, which I'm sure we're going to talk about later in the show, which means we're now absolutely loaded. No doubt going to be signing loads of amazing players in January, so no concerns there at all. <laughs> um, and I actually think the flip side to Jake, I don't support Newcastle and have to watch them all the time, so I actually still think Steve Bruce is quite good. <laughs> but I think Bruce is more than good enough a manager to steer them away, so 
yeah, I think it, it's difficult to look beyond the bottom four as it is. Um, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about Brighton. I think they only won one home game in 2020. They don't score any goals either, and they concede a lot of goals. So I'd be a bit worried if I was a Brighton fan. I think they escape criticism because there's admiration for Graham Potter and he wears nice suits and he's got this um, unusual managerial background going to Sweden and stuff. But if you look at Brighton's results since they got rid of Hewton, are they any better? No, mm. they're just not any better. Um, so Playing yeah, six centre-backs will do that. Well, exactly. Like, I don't think Potter's responsible for Dan Byrne thinking he's a left-back, but why is Dan Byrne a left-back? <laughs> he's 6'7". Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he can't be a left-back. He's just not right. <laughs> I've, I've lost my train of thought. But yeah, they obviously had the Wolves game the other day when they scored three at home, managed not to win still. So I'm aware looking at the table, I've just said they don't score any goals and they've scored 21 and Burnley scored nine. So <laughs> they scored some goals. <laughs> but if you're scoring three goals at home and not winning the game, that suggests there's problems elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, I think Brighton's a tricky one, but I've said all along that Fulham are doomed. So um, I think eyes on Brighton because they seem to be slipping quite fast, whereas Fulham appear to be improving. And I think Fulham are more likely to throw money at the problem in January. Mm. Hasn't necessarily worked for them before, but I think of the teams at the bottom, they will be the spenders. So, yeah, I, I can't go back on saying Fulham are going to go down. They've looked like relegation certainties from the start of the season for me. Yeah, also to kind of tie the two conversations together with Fulham, they were finally in a decent run of form with their four draws in a row, arguably could have won any of them. Uh, and then all of a sudden they get hit with this uh, two-match hiatus. So it'll be curious to see if they're able to regain that form um, as soon as they get back and playing their Premier League matches. Uh, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back, Steve. We'll start off by talking about Tottenham. We already alluded to it. Uh, in the opening section when you mentioned the La Celso, Lamella, and Regulon situation. So for those that don't know, they were all photographed together having Christmas together with some family and friends and uh, definitely not uh, per the Premier League or Tottenham's guidance on on player safety and all of that stuff with COVID still going on. So I'm curious from you, Steve, what punishment do you want to see them get and what punishment do you think they will get, whether it be from the Premier League or internally at Tottenham? Well, it, it is an interesting one, and it goes back to what we were saying. I mean, uh, Lanzini was there as well, was at the party from... Uh, That's from true, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it it's hard because, to get back to the point I was making, we only know about this because someone was stupid enough to actually post it on social. And once you sort of say, well, how many of those get-togethers don't we know about um, that thankfully don't result in an infection or any kind of uh, uh, breach of, of that. So, again, it's the enforcement, the problems with enforcement, the problems with consistency. Um, there has to be some kind of reckoning. I mean, I know Regulon was on the bench the other night, uh, whereas the other two were, were not in the squad. Um, so I don't know how you actually do that and make it fair unless um, it has you have the same guidelines and the same um, disciplinary chart almost for every team. 
but then again, as I say, if you if you get into a situation where you only find out about a breach um, because somebody has has stuck it on Instagram, then you know, that's not a way that you're able to actually enforce it. Uh, I mean, I know when when they made their apologies and Mourinho went on Instagram and he talked about uh, how angry he was with them. I mean, you, you know that he's given them a piece of his mind, but at the end of the day, um, there there's no sort of expectation that that anything um, anything concrete will come of of a punishment. Uh, and, and, you know, fines are, are meaningless for players who make uh, the amount of money that they do. Uh, yeah, I think also it has, to, it has to run the same way through the entire playing staff. Uh, I mean, even if these are junior players or under 23s or whatever, you know, if, if a similar situation arrives, then you have to be able to, to treat them all the same way. But again, the, just the practical difficulty of, Discovering and enforcing uh, these these guidelines is uh, makes it makes it unlikely that we'll we'll get any kind of meaningful punishment. Yeah, it is worth noting that if nobody sees Sergio Regulon for some time, it's because Mourinho mentioned that he bought him a suckling pig so that he wouldn't uh, be too sad having to spend Christmas alone. And then he went to a Christmas party yeah. after that, and like yeah. the disappointment slash resentment slash anger in Jose Mourinho's voice as he told that story in his post-match press conference. Uh, yeah, if he gets fired into the sun, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's it's hard to do, but it really feels like Twitter apologies clearly written by somebody else is, is not really garnering any sympathy from anyone. Um, so I, I am curious to see how all of it will pan out. And uh, Alistair Gold, who, who frequently reports on Tottenham, uh, said that there's likely news to be coming soon on Lamella, whether that's another injury or if he's potentially on the transfer list or if there's going to be some significant um, punishment coming his way. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but it sounds like there will be a little bit more news that might be related to this uh, coming up in future. Um, the other uh, really big news out of Tottenham this week wasn't just the the win against Leeds, but it's that Son, Kane, and Hugo are all currently discussing new contracts um, with Tottenham. Uh, just the discussion stage, so not not yet to sign, air quotes. Uh, but I was curious, uh, from your perspective, given that they're all different ages, which of those do you think is the most important? Or for you, which one would cause you to relax the most uh, with all three of them kind of continuing to tick down the years on their contracts? Well, this is also the other uh, wild card in that conversation is uh, Pochettino going to PSG, of course. Where he's going to face AVB for a title (laughs) in like 10 days. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I mean, we've speculated before that Hugo's uh, move, if Hugo moved from from the lane, that that's where he would go. He would end up at uh, at PSG. Um, And this just makes it even more likely, I think so. It doesn't exactly fill me with with tremendous confidence, um, given uh, that that how integral a, a member of the squad Hugo is, and and we're not um, entirely confident with Joe Hart as as his backup, except in um, you know the, the, some of the um, uh, peripheral game. Um, so, Sonny, I think I think is is absolutely central. If we can if we can hold on to Sonny and and Harry and uh, keep building on that relationship and just make sure that uh, that we surround them with the sort of players that give them give them decent service and and let them uh, express themselves, then then I think we're uh, we're heading in the right direction. But uh, but yeah, I mean it. it, it the Pochettino thing is is interesting because every day is hardly a day goes by now you don't get speculation about you know who he's going to come after and uh, uh, which former Spurs players he's going to come and get. Mm. Uh, I think that might be jumping the gun a little bit because you know don't forget he's only he's only signed um, eighteen month contract at PSG mm. uh, with the option for a, for a second season. Um, so I'm not entirely sure that they're going to have an awful lot of um, uh, an awful lot of money available to him to 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 uh, to shop around the way people think he will. I think it's more a case of uh, we need you to get the best out of the players that that we have that Tuchel couldn't. Uh, so it's it's going to be an interesting challenge for him, but uh, I wouldn't expect him to be spending big uh, anytime soon. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked with the Delhi loan since they were close to doing that in the summer before Poch was there anyway. But I have noticed that a lot of Tottenham fans think that it's just the players we want gone that would be interested in rejoining Poch. <laughs> like Delhi or Davinson or maybe Winks or, you know, Ericsson, even though he's not at the club anymore. And I'm like, I would love it if he's only interested in players that we're uh, currently having waning interest in at our own club. But uh, a little worried about that that high end. But the fact that Kane or Son are even really willing to extend their contracts. Both of them have at least two years left uh, anyway right now, uh, I think is really encouraging. And regardless of whether or not Mourinho wins anything with us, which hopefully uh, we're in a final as to people are listening to this uh, after our match on Tuesday, but if Mourinho's presence helped get Kane and Son to lock down their long-term futures, it's a success regardless of silverware from my, from where I'm sitting anyway. Um, lastly, I just wanted to ask you about how the season has gone thus far. Obviously, we had some ups. We were top of the table for like three weeks. People talking about us as title challengers. Then obviously that really bad skid, four straight without a win. But we're currently top four at the start of the new year. Would you have taken that? I, I, I would. And I think I said to you last time I was on that, um, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves and, and say see where we are at the beginning of the year. And, and in a way, it's almost like a causality. It's like being top of the league led us to lose confidence for that sort of three or four game run um, where, where we were the victims of our own poor um, game management. So hopefully, I mean, I think that our game against Leeds um, the other day, I thought we rode our luck a little bit in the first half. But I, I think the way we handled that game was actually pretty impressive, especially since they were coming off a roll uh, from the from their previous game against West Brom, so you know, fingers crossed, we're back we're back on track. We have uh, a, a clean sheet, uh, which is always a good a good sign, um, and uh, you know we're playing with a little bit of confidence again. So, uh, yeah, it, it, as I say, you know, as I've said a couple of times on here, it's um, it's it's an Andy Warhol season. Everybody's in the ascendant for for fifteen minutes, and uh, I just I just think. You know, if you look at the spread of the points and places, I mean, Arsenal are Arsenal are only only six points behind us, but they're you know what uh, eight, seven, seven places behind us now. Mm. Um, everything everything is tight. Everything is still uh, up for grabs. And I, I, and at this stage of the season, a, a three or four run game uh, a game run, uh, either positively or negatively, can can have an exponential in, impact on your on your league standing. But yeah, I know I'm hap- I'm happy with where we are and I sort of figured if we were in the top 4 come uh, come the new year then that uh, would be in a good position. Yeah, and that's exactly where we are. So not too bad despite the uh, ups and downs thus far. Uh, we'll come to you now, Jake, to talk about Newcastle. It's been a while since Newcastle have tasted victory. December 12th, I know you mentioned earlier that Lascelles and uh, and St. Maximum being out has had a really big impact. Is it just down to that? Is it down to Bruce? Is it just down to regression to the mean? Why do you think it's been so long since since you've gotten all three points? Um. I don't. I don't think our fixtures in that time have been that 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 good. To be honest, um, I think we played uh, Leeds and Fulham, um, and and I think um, get Leeds was obviously going to be a difficult game. I think we were drawing two of it about ten minutes ago and tried to get the win and then just got destroyed on the counter attack. Mm. So um, that was that that would happen. So that 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 scoreline makes it look a lot worse than it probably was on the night, even though Leeds did have most of the chances and most of the ball. I think we were still carrying the threat and um, restricting many of the good chances they were having. So um, that, that wasn't too bad. Then against Fulham, um, we were pretty bad. Um, they should have won that game. Even with 10 men, they were playing better than us. So that was a disappointing one. Um, but then when they go down to 10 men, you think that maybe we've got a chance of winning. But um, yeah, a point there was fine. And then... Um, I think we've had uh, Liverpool, Man City, um, and then Leicester today. You know, uh, we got a point out of that, which I mean, it's something. But I think the the performances in the last couple of games have been a lot better. Um, if you watch Newcastle for most of the season, you'd have seen Carl Darlow pulling off about six or seven saves a match. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, in, I think today against Leicester, and he made one save. Yeah, he conceded two goals, but he wasn't. We weren't conceding a lot of shots, and, and against Liverpool, we weren't conceding too many shots either. Considering we were playing Liverpool, so that was cool. there's been some. Um, improvement. I think that 
we sort of reached the 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 lowest point of Steve Bruce's uh, reign so far against Brentford in the cup, where we were just thoroughly outplayed by a, a championship reserve team, whereas we put our best eleven out. That was probably where um, the criticism reached this peak for him, um, and and from there it did only look like it was going one way, and a lot of it was down to Bruce setting up with this back five, but then offering no sort of pressing or no sort of threat on the counter attack. It was just sort of putting two lines um, in our in our own third and hoping for the best. Um, but you know, if if we'd have continued with that, um, that that was probably why we weren't getting as many points. But against Liverpool, we were pressing high, and against against today, against Leicester, we were still pressing high and offering a little bit more out of possession, which I think is what we've wanted. So even though we've only taken a point off Liverpool and Leicester, um, which isn't bad, but the performances have been a lot better. So, um, I mean, the, the the task now is for Bruce to, to get the team playing this sort of football against teams that we sh- should be getting points against. So Sheffield United, um, and I think it's next midweek, that we've got to go there and play a, a little bit more on the front foot um, and try and impose ourselves on the game rather than being as passive as we have been. So I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried about the fact we haven't won in a few weeks because we have had difficult games. But uh, I think the... The, the task at hand now is to make sure we win that Sheffield United game. Um, that is, is looking to be quite a big one. Um, and I think if we win that, we'll probably go on to, to have a, an OK second half of the season. But if we lose that, like we did against Derby back when they were losing every single week, then uh, yeah, maybe there will be bigger problems ahead. But no, I, don't, I think it's probably just the fact we haven't won so far is more to do with the fixtures and probably a little bit of reversion to the mean in, in that we were getting some good results when we perhaps shouldn't have been but I'm not too I'm not as I'm not more worried about it now than I would have been two three months ago I just think that this is where we are at the moment gotcha and then as somebody that isn't a Newcastle supporter I'm, I'm not really sure how well I understood what was going on but there was something going on between Steve Bruce and the Newcastle fans do you know what that was all about uh, yeah, I don't think the Newcastle fans like Steve Bruce, and uh, I think that's that's probably where where that lies. Um, so uh, the problem, with what Bruce doesn't do, he doesn't help himself in the way that he talks in the media, uh, and he does come across a little bit condescending at times. Um, he was talking about how, um, so he went in um, before the cup, the FA, uh, the Carabao Cup game, and said how important it was, and. The, and and then he, he put um he named his strongest eleven, which indicated that he wanted to win that game. And then when we didn't win, he said, "Oh, my my, my remit is just to keep the the club in the league, and it doesn't matter." So it, it def- that sort of switch of messages made him look a little bit like he was covering his own ass rather than rather than uh, actually uh, what what he meant to say. He, he just his, his message sort of changed. I think that's where the Newcastle fans sort of came down on him. But it, it's a difficult one with Bruce I just think that he's never really going to be properly accepted um, because I don't it's it's not to do with with who was the manager before it's more to do with that if Steve Bruce left Newcastle tomorrow would he get another Premier League job probably not before before he came in at Newcastle where where was he getting his jobs um, in the mid table of the championship so I just think think he, he's seen as a bit of a yes man for, for Mike Ashley which, which is what he is really but um, yeah, he, his job, and he is right in saying his job is to keep the club in the league. But you know, to actively say it as he did, just doesn't really um, win him too many supporters in the fan base. But yeah, that's, it's going to be continuing. But um, yeah, the most important thing is he does keep us in the league, and then hopefully, at some point, we'll be as uh, lucky as Burnley and Jamie and getting new owners, which I'm sure you're going to come and talk about in a minute. <laughs> I think that's, that's that. We're all waiting for it, and that's that is what we're going to be. We've been waiting for it for, for ten years now. We're going to be waiting for it for a little bit longer, sadly. But mm. um, yeah, that, that, is, that his job is to keep the, the club in the Premier League while Mike Ashley tries to find a buyer, and he's right in saying it. But to, it was the fact that he he lost the cup game with such a strong team, and it definitely felt like he he was trying trying to aim for more than that and and I think during the summer he was talking about how he wanted to progress the team and move the team forward and challenging the cup so then to change that message after a defeat it definitely felt like he was changing the goalposts so it's the way he communicates um but yeah he's never going to be well liked I don't think but 
hopefully he does do what he says his remit is because now he said that if we do start to drop down the table and relegation becomes a a, a possibility then he's definitely going to have to be judged on that and he you know he's set his stall out now and he's going to have to to back that up Kev the thing that Jaden mentioned there is that they don't like him because he used to manage Sunderland that's mm. that's <laughs> could also could also be yeah. part of it. Uh, and then, uh, Jake, I wanted to finish up by asking you about Carl Darlow. You mentioned it seems like he's making saves all the time. He is. He's leading the league in saves. Typically not a good thing for your defense, but a good thing for your goalkeeper. Uh, obviously, Dubrovka was a huge signing when you brought him in. Not huge profile, but bringing him in had a huge impact. Um, is that now a discussion when Dubrovka gets back, or does he automatically get handed the gloves as soon as he's fit? Uh, Dubrovka is back. And he's been sitting on the sub bench. Oh, wow. Well, then it's been very decisive. (laughs) Yeah, I think that he's going to play against Arsenal in the FA Cup. But for me, I think Dubravka is the better goalkeeper. But Kyle Darlow is playing, um, you know, he's in the form of his life and should probably be in and around the England squad, considering one of the England goalkeepers doesn't even play football at the moment. So, um, yeah, he's in the form of his life. He's just signed a new contract. So it, it wouldn't look good to the rest of the squad if you've got this player in such good form to then drop him as soon as uh, the other goalkeeper comes back. Um, so it's going to be a difficult situation to manage. I don't think Dubravka will want to be a, a sub-keeper for too long. But um, yeah, it's competition. And you know it's always better to have two good goalkeepers than, than none at all. So yeah, I think he's going to keep the place for the foreseeable. But I think he's... Um, Whereas Dubravka made a few errors last year and wasn't really under threat. I think that with Darlow, if he did start to slip, we'd quickly see Dubravka back in the team. But mm. hopefully that won't happen because, uh, yeah, I, I hope Carl Darlow keeps playing as well as he is and maybe he does get into that England squad because there, there have been growing conversations about that in the last few days. But um, we'll wait if that does happen. Uh, but yeah, he should probably be in it based on form, mm. but we'll see. Gotcha. Well, players that should be in it based on form doesn't seem to be how Southgate chooses his players, but fair enough. And uh, yeah, I look very silly for asking that now. I guess I figured I would have heard about when Dubrovka was finally fit again, but apparently you were just like, nope, Darlow's too good right now. Uh, But you were right in thinking that I would talk to Jamie about the takeover. Hey, Jamie, you had a takeover. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time I was on the show, we talked about this and it seems to have been imminent for weeks and weeks and then the other night someone pressed the publish button on the press release too early and it got announced at like half 11 in the evening over here so <laughs> um, a nice surprise in that the timing was probably a bit earlier than we were eventually expecting but um, yeah it seems to have been on the cards for a long time um, organisation called ALK Capital who are sports investment people so they are um, involved in this business already, even though this is the first Premier League club they've had a go out. They tried to buy Sheffield United, um, but all the stuff about their ownership that played out in the High Court sort of put paid to that. Um, the guy who's coming in as chairman is a chap called Alan Pace, who is talking a very good game so far. A lot of talk about how he wants to evolve the club rather than revolutionise it. A lot of talk about bringing the community along. Um, he's obviously a very big fan of Sean Dyche. That was probably the main concern for fans that the new owner might come in and decide that Dyche wasn't the man for him or something. So already there's assurances that, that he wants to keep Dyche. Um, talking about making funds available in January, although it doesn't sound like we are going to spend a fortune. So the shirt that I've bought with Mbappe on the back will probably have to get sent back, unfortunately, but maybe next year. Um, so yeah, I'm positive about it. I think there's the term that seems to be being used by fans a lot is cautious optimism, which I think is fair. Um, it has been nice to be one of the only fan-owned clubs around these days. Most Premier League clubs and their owners don't really have any connection now. I mean, it's a bit sad. So it's nice that we stood out. But the reality is the the former owners had probably taken us as far as we could get. Um, Mike Garlick's done a pretty good job stabilising the club in the Premier League, but he doesn't have the personal riches to finance the sort of leaps forward that you need. And when almost every other Premier League club is owned by a billionaire, you just risk not even treading water, but just losing ground just because of finances. So I think there's a 
the possibility that this allows us to take strides forward. Um, ALK Capital seem very big on analytics and technology, so there's a chance that we can get an edge there that we haven't had in the past. Um, it all seems very, very positive to me, um, especially since the other takeover bid seemed extremely dodgy and now they get to go away and we never have to hear about them ever again. <laughs> well then, there you go. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask about kind of ties into the, the first topic of the day, which is obviously your, your match got postponed with Fulham. You, you gave us some of your thoughts then. Is, is there any upside to this? or Are you thinking that some of your injured players might be back by whenever this match is rescheduled or it might allow you to kind of regroup before uh, Saturday's match? Yeah, I think that was a good point. Um, obviously, Christmas is a bit of a killer for players with the number of games you play in such a short space of time. Our injury list was starting to grow again. Um, we had one game over Christmas where we didn't have any wingers. Uh, played a left-back on one wing and a central midfielder, a young player who hasn't really got any experience on the other. So uh, the chance for us to get Robbie Brady fit again, hopefully Dwight McNeil fit again. Jack Cork shouldn't be too far away. Johan Cummonson could be fit again. Charlie Taylor went off in the last game, but if we don't play a Premier League game for a couple of weeks, he might be ready. So it probably does come at a reasonable time for us in terms of injuries and, and just general fitness. So not necessarily bad timing in that respect, but the flip side is we've been strong at home recently. We would have been very confident of winning that game, continuing to push up the league. So pros and cons, but I suppose... Whenever we play Fulham at home, we'll probably expect to win that game anyway. I mean, no disrespect to Fulham, but they're not very good and we're better. So I don't think we'll be that fussed when we play it. All right. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on what happens in that in that match. But you'll probably be in better standing uh, at the time, especially as we mentioned earlier. Fulham, we're, we're starting to gather a little bit of momentum. So maybe nice to avoid that. Uh, or something. <laughs> we'll wrap up by talking about our positional groups at our club. So obviously we're already in the January window. Not going to dwell on it too much. But I was just curious, what's the weakest position at your club? And do you think you'll address it this January? Uh, I, I wouldn't really go with the word weak. I would probably go with inconsistent. And I think as often as the case with Spurs, it comes back to that central defense combination, um, Dyer, Toby, and Sanchez, and the, and the combinations in which we play them. I like what I've seen so far of Joe Roden. I, I'm not sure he's ready yet to be a, a first choice uh, central defender, but but I think that's that's still the the most um, uh, difficult or the most problematic uh, position that we have. Uh, if you look at the other positions, the central midfield positions. We we have interchangeable players that um, could be good enough to to beat um, half of the half of the, the rest of the league. Um, it's you can't really point to one position and say we need a replacement there now. I would like to have another young goalkeeper and uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, another shout out for Darlow for England from from this side. By the way, he's had just a remarkable stretch of games recently. Um, you, I think we have to work on the basis that that Hugo's not going to be around uh, as long as we would like him to be, and I would like to have uh, a more uh, ready successor that I'm that I'm confident about. Um, but apart from apart from that central defence combination, I don't think. Uh, I don't think there's any any one position. I mean, I, I suppose in a way, if if the stories are true and Regulon does get called back to uh, to Real Madrid at the end of the season, then we're going to have to address uh, the situation there. Maybe bringing Sessegnon back from the Bundesliga might be the might be the way to go uh, in that regard. Um, otherwise, I mean, the the, the other um, transfer uh, that's been talked about is Sabitzer. Uh, coming in, and that you know that could open up a, a, another avenue for for Harry Winks to depart. Who knows? Um, I, there isn't really a one position that you would look at and say uh, we need an instant replacement there. It's um, I, I think we're we're actually in a pretty good position when it comes to a, a transfer window that's still fraught with uncertainty because 
as I was saying in one of the earlier answers, the, the, the economic situation and the economic uncertainty about when fans are going to get back and, and how that's going to affect the um, predictability of uh, the economics of the game, uh, it's going to have an, an inevitably uh, have a knock-on effect on the transfer window. Yeah, for Newcastle, um, we'd probably like to start in a couple of areas, although Bruce has sort of said that there's not going to be much money there and that they'd probably be looking at the two Premier League loans that you're allowed a season. So um, out of those, um, I think we've been linked with Tamori today, um, also been linked with um, the, is it from Arsenal, Saliba, who's not been playing mm-hmm. centre-back. So that, that looks like the sort of profile of player that, that would improve us. I think the one thing you'd say about our defensive options is there's not a lot of pace in there. Fernandez is, is, is not quick at all. Clark sure that they'll they'll lack a little bit of mobility um so if you did add a, a more dynamic sort of um athletic player in there that could that could with a bit more pace uh, that would probably benefit us in the way we're trying to set up a little bit higher on the pitch so i could see that happening um we, we've also been um we've also been um linked to um a, f- a few players in midfield as well which I could see that happening um I think Harry Link uh, Harry Winks was linked on loan uh, and I think that's that's probably a position we need to strengthen um somebody that could I think we've got the lowest pass success rate in the Premier League or at least one of the lowest so that's something we need to we need somebody that can pick up the ball in there and keep it um next to Isaac Hayden who's a more of a, a ball winner uh, I don't think that Harry Winks would come to Newcastle, but somebody in that that mould who's a little bit more mobile uh, and a bit more work rate than Shelby would be a good thing. But I'm not expecting us to do a lot. I think we need to try and work on keeping the players we already have. I think Clark and Yedlin have both come into the team recently. Both their contracts run up in the summer. I'm not sure if they'll be looking to, to retain those. I don't think they'll... I think Yedlin's been, been linked to a move to Turkey. I think he almost went in the summer, so I'd expect him maybe to to not get a new contract, but I'd like to see Clark get a new contract. I think he's, he's pretty reliable in the Premier League and he's definitely improved us since he's come back in. Um, so yeah, there's, a, there's a few things to do, but I'd say that sort of that quicker and more mobile centre-back on loan is probably what we need most in the short term. Um, so maybe we'll get one of those. Yeah, and Jamie, flush with cash now, Burnley? Yeah, I mean, I would have said we needed some pace in the January transfer window, but we've already got Alan Pace, so that's already ticked that box. <laughs> his name is Pace. Lol. Um, I think at the start of the season, the walk through the squad and it looks a bit thin, but when everyone's fit, I don't think we're actually that bad. Ideally, you want two decent options for each position, don't you? And I think out wide is probably where we are lacking. Um, especially the last couple of games where McNeil's not played and he's been such a big miss because he plays basically every game. It's very rare that he misses one. Um, so only having McNeil, Brady and Goodmanson as wide options probably left us a bit short anyway. Um, there's a lot of speculation about Harry Wilson from Liverpool in the last transfer window and it seemed like we just didn't have the finance to get that one over the line. Um, he might not be one that we go back to, but it seems like wing is the position that we are looking to strengthen um center back is probably the other area where we could maybe do with the body seems like james tarkovsky has decided his future lies away from turf more he's done into saying that he's basically not going to sign a new contract he's got another year after this season but it obviously puts him in a position where you have to decide whether you're going to risk losing a player for nothing or if you want to try and cash in so we're going to be in that situation with Tarkovsky over the next six months, having to decide what his future is all about. Ideally, he will be persuaded to sign a new deal, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Um, so I think we need to sign a centre-back as kind of future-proofing that, someone who can um, be on the bench for now, develop, watch how me and Tarkovsky go about their business and then be ready to step in if and when Tarkovsky does leave. Gotcha. All right. Well, we will wrap up the show there. If you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Well, thanks very much for having me back, uh, Kevin. That was a great conversation. Uh, my name is Steve McGookin. You can find me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, all one word. Uh, for my uh, non-football writing, you can get me at northernslant.com. 
And I just wanted to sign off by uh, saying how great it was that Jimmy Greaves was finally recognized in the uh, New Year's Honours list this year, uh, the year he turned 80. And, uh, and appropriately enough, um, the weekend that Sonny was uh, scoring his 100th goal, becoming the 18th player to score 100 for Spurs. Obviously, he's got a long way to go to catch Greavy. So uh, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. And I'm also involved in the Championship Show, which you can get on Twitter at Championship Pod. Yeah, always a pleasure. And if for some reason you want more of my fire takes on football, you can get me on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Smith Sport. <laughs> and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. Uh, if you search EPL Roundtable on all of your podcasting apps, you'll find us as well as the Championship Pod, which goes out through the same RSS feed. And they're on Twitter at Championship Pod. And Jake is on that show frequently. So if you want to hear him talking about the championship, be sure to check that out as well. Uh, thanks again to all of you guys for coming on. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.